Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. It was the most costly war in our history uh, in regards to loss of life. Historians estimate that somewhere between 650 and 850,000 men were killed during the Civil War. Uh, these weren't soldiers from a foreign invader. They were not troops from some external conquering force. These were fathers taking aim and shooting at their sons. These were sons lighting fuses on cannons to annihilate their own fathers. These were brothers who were impaling brothers on the steel of their bayonets. This was a family conflict. This, was, this, this war was not civil. The civil war was not civil. Families were divided and torn apart and sides were chosen. The civil war that took place in the Garden of Eden that disrupted utopia and paradise uh, just like the Civil War uh, in our nation later, it revealed to us that we don't navigate relationships very well. We don't know how to handle relationships. The older I get, I begin to recognize and I realize that that's really the crux of the matter in most of our lives. Most of the problems and the pains and the hurts and the arguments and the stress that we endure is initiated by family conflicts. We don't know how to deal with relationships very well. Uh, and so what we do is, since we were created for relationship and designed from re for relationship from day one, since we don't know how to navigate relationships, we revert to what we learned in middle school. And what we learned in middle school was that there are only two responses to conflict. One, we either strike back or two, we vacate. And in doing so, we imprison ourselves in isolation and we find ourselves in bondage. What happens, and we talked about this last week, you've got your catch-up card, you can see where we went, but just to, to mention it, we by being in isolation, when we don't uh, know how to navigate relationships and we find ourselves offended, we take the bait, and when we take the bait, we block our prayers, we block our power, we block our presentation of Jesus to others, and we block ourselves from fulfilling the post that God has called us to, and so we inevitably learn to where we find ourselves in bondage. And so what we've got to do is that since war is inevitable, Jesus said that it was inevitable that you would be offended. He's basically saying this to you. You're going to end up in a fight. It's inevitable. So what we've got to do is if we're going to inevitably be in a fight, then we have got to learn to fight fair. See, I can't get no help because y'all don't want to fight fair. But we've got to learn to fight fair. Uh, anybody know which bus buttons to push in your home? Uh, I'm not talking about the remote. You know what to say, when to say it, with the right tone. You know what you can say with your friend. You know what you can say with your coworker that's going to get on their last nerve. And, and, and y'all never do that intentionally. But, but you know, oh, y'all are like acting all holy on me. So, so, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk today about the art of war so that we can learn to fight fair. And so I just want to give you some pointers today. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture, two different accounts some highlights, and I'll try to connect them for you. We're going to start in 2 Kings in chapter 6. 
We're going to begin reading in verse 8. We're going to go down through verse 14. Then we're going to skip to verse 18 and read through verse 23, first account. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and he demanded of them, Tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in, is, is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and they surrounded the city. Verse 18, and as the enemy came toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were inside. There they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? And Elisha uh, said to them, he answered, Do not kill them. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Listen to what he said to do. Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So listen to this phrase right here. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. One version reads like this, the armies of Aram never bothered Israel again. Then in 2 Samuel, I'm going to read some highlights to you from a story that I've mentioned countless times to you, but I think it's one of the ones that we need to talk about when we're talking about how to fight fair. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 17 down through 23, and then we'll skip down into chapter 3. It says, the battle that day was very fierce, and Abner and the Israelites were defeated by David's men. The three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asiel. Now, Asiel was was as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle, and he chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. And Abner looked behind him and said, Is that you, Asiel? And it, it is, he answered. And then Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right or to the left. Take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. But Asiel would not stop chasing him. Again, Abner warned Asiel. Stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look at your brother Abner in the face? But ACL refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into ACL's stomach and the spear came out of his back. Just stop right there. Do I need to say this to you this morning? There are some of the confrontations that we should not pursue and that we ignore the warnings over and over and over again to our own demise. I'm preaching already. I'm not even in my sermon. I'm just reading some scripture to you. But how many of us find ourselves destroyed because we ignore the warnings because we want to fight? 
I can't get no help. All right. All right. It just goes on and it says he fell there and died on that spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where ACL had fallen and died. Now listen to what happens. Second Samuel chapter three, verse one. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger. While the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Verses 12 and 13. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David. Now this is his enemy. Abner's been an enemy to David. And he says to David, whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help you bring all of Israel over to you. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, the daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Verse 23. When Joab, now you got to know, here's, here's the situation. Abner is the commander for Saul who killed Asiel, who was Joab's brother. And Joab is David's commander. And Abner just brokered a peace treaty with David. And this is what happens in verse 23. When Joab and all the soldiers with him arrived, he was told that Abner, son, son of Ner, had come to the king And the king had sent him away, and that he had gone in peace. Verse 27. Now, when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak with him privately, and there, to avenge the blood of his brother Asiel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Verse 32. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king, David, the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb and all the people wept also I want you to learn to fight fair I've read to you two very interesting accounts in scripture that teach us some things about the art of war in the first account I read to you how Elisha had this ability to thwart the uh, ambushes the plans of the king of Aram. The king becomes very upset that Elisha is ratting him out to the king of Israel. And so he, uh, he gathers a, what the word says was a large group of officers and troops and he sends them to ambush Elisha. Elisha sees them coming and he, Elisha was a bad dude. You don't mess with somebody that can do this. When a guy talks and God backs him up. You don't want to mess with that kind of dude. And Elisha says, strike him with blindness. And God says, that's a good idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that. And boom, they, they, they're, struck, they're struck blind, right? And so now they're blind and they're trying to find their way around. And Elisha sets them up. He says, just follow me. I'll take you to the guy you're looking for and the city you've been searching for. And he leads them right into Samaria where all the children of Israel are camped, right? And then he says, God, open their eyes. God says, you know what? That's a good idea. Boom. Their eyes are open and they look up and instead of surrounding, now they're surrounded, right? And the king of Israel looks at Elisha and says, Should I kill him? Okay. Elisha, and and in this situation, the king of Israel teaches us, they do something, the king of Israel does something that in the second account, Joab had not learned. I'm going to help you right here. Come on, stay with me now. In the first account, the king of Israel has his enemy surrounded, and he knows to do something that Joab... Never could learn. If you're going to fight fair, you must learn to ask before you strike. 
Okay. If we're going to fight fair, we have got to establish an authority in our life, which is God. And then very often he appoints or assigns people to us that we can turn to when we have the opportunity or we feel the necessity to strike. We've got to have somebody, somebody that God has positioned in our life that we can go to and say, should I strike them or should I do something else? Because here's why. Most often we want to respond with a fist. But there are times that instead we are supposed to respond with a feast. Okay, I'm preaching, y'all looking at me. Why? 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 You, you've got to have somebody in your life that can not only point out the ambushes that are coming your way, like Elisha did for the king of Israel, but you've also got to have somebody in your life that can go, hey, I see the ambush, and I recognize that the enemy's coming to surround me, and war has been declared on me. They talk bad about me at school. They spread rumors about me at work. That My neighbor's driving me crazy, and I want to respond, and I've got this fist, and I know how to use it. Me and my five best friends are going to send a message and you got to have somebody in your life that you can go, should I strike? Should I, should I give them the fist or should I give them the feast? You got to have somebody you can ask that will give you wisdom because in our own natural way of doing things, when we are ambushed and when we're surrounded and we're attacked, we want to strike back. But you got to ask you got to ask. The reason we need to learn to fight that way is because very often what we see in, the, in this account from the king is the right way to do it. We see the wrong way to do it from Joab. And what we often, under, what we got to learn is this. Your treatment of your enemy determines your future. Man, I can't get no help in here. I don't know if y'all stayed up too late last night. Track with me now. Track with me now. I, the, the king of Israel did it right, and rather than a fist, he gave them a feast. That's what it says. It says, he says, Elisha, should I strike? Elisha says, absolutely not. Go get the T-bone and throw it on the grill and make them a big meal and prepare them this feast and give them water and position them and feed them and, and deal with all their hunger. And Scripture says that because he responded the right way, that the, the, the armies of Aram never bothered the Israelites again, ever. Okay, so let me say this to you. Some of us perpetuate war when if we would ask before we would strike, we might have just brokered a lifelong peace treaty and, vo and, and in the process avoid a lifelong curse if we would have put our hand down and offered a peace treaty instead. Some of us just like to fight. Don't be elbowing your spouse right now. Some of us just like to fight. I think that's the reason that we do that is because we have convinced ourselves of this. We have convinced ourselves that God is upset with who we are upset with. Okay, y'all don't leave me up here by myself. I'm, am I the only one that when I get ag aggravated, like the song says, I know how to hold a grudge. When I get aggravated, am I the only one that thinks at that moment God sets up and goes, mm, Steve's mad at them, so boom, I'm mad at them too. Man, I can't stand I never did like them. I don't even know why I bothered creating them in the first place. They get on my last nerve. I don't like We convince ourselves that God is upset with who we're upset with. 
in our mind, we convince ourselves that God is okay with us being on the outs with someone. We convince ourselves that he's mad at who we're mad at, that he doesn't like who we don't like. And that's what Joab did. Joab convinced himself of that. In fact, the word says that Joab got word when he arrived back at the city that David had sent Abner away in what? Peace. Peace. But Joab convinced himself that David would still be as upset with Abner as he was because he killed my brother. So I know if I'm mad at him, certainly David's going to be mad at him too. And he wouldn't let it go. And instead, what he discovered is this truth. And I want you to, if you don't catch anything else, I, 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 I tell you this morning, would you please catch this truth right here? Joab discovered a truth. He discovered it too late so that he could teach us to discover this truth early, all right? Here's the truth. He discovered that just because he had a grudge didn't mean the king had a grudge. I'm helping somebody right now. Maybe I'm just helping me. Just because I have a grudge doesn't mean God is up in heaven having a grudge against the same people that, uh, okay, y'all, I'm messing with some of y'all. You thought God hated them as bad. See, I don't know what it is, but a lot of us, when we read the word, we land in Psalm, in the Psalms. I like the Psalms. Anybody else like the Psalms? Okay, some of y'all like, like, are really holy. So you like Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's not a part of the Psalms I like. I like the part of the Psalms where David is going, kill my enemies. Destroy them. Pluck their eyeballs out. Cook, cook them over an open fire. Spin them slowly so they don't let them die quickly, God. Uh, revenge. Come on, God. Make them suffer. Suffer, God. Make them suffer. Don't let them sleep at night. Yeah, I know, uh, these are my... Pr- uh, give them ulcers, God. Uh, let bugs crawl all over them, God. Let, let their car follow. Let that dog die, God. We like all that, right? I don't, I don't know. Maybe just me, just me. We, we land on his cries for justice and retribution, and we believe that God is mad at them like we are. The only problem is this. When we're praying that about them, <laughs> they're praying the same thing about us. That's only, So which one, who's God going to listen to? Are we all just going to be miserable together? I, I don't know, but isn't it interesting and what I've discovered is that it's a good thing God doesn't cut off everyone we beg him to cut off. That's because if, if he did, we would be in trouble. You see what he's saying? If God cut off everybody I ask him to cut off, I would be in trouble. Because what I've learned is that oftentimes some of the people that I want him to destroy... Y'all just want to call their names out right now? That's just all. The, the one person we want God to destroy most, just cry, just all at once. Don't, if you say, Steve, I'm coming after you. Okay, on the count of three, I'm playing with you. But, but if God cut off everybody I wanted him to destroy, I would find myself in severe trouble. And so would you. You know why? Because often what we discover is that he will reposition that person later as a bridge that you need to cross. All right, some of y'all are looking at me like you don't even, okay, let me just help you. Some of y'all about to get your first job like you're in your second job, and you, you're like wanting to say, take this job and do stuff with it, and, and, and you and you want to like send a virus to the computer. I will get, but lo and behold, that, that supervisor that's driving you crazy right now, 10 years from now, you may need to cross that bridge again. And if you don't learn to ask 
before you strike, you will cause a divide that you will never bridge. Some of y'all that way in relationships. It's just a relationship. It's not a work relationship. It's just a relationship. I can't stand them. I'm going to tell them off. I'm going to run into them. I'm going to signal. And then five years later, they hold the key to your destiny and you can't cross that bridge. See, our blessing and our destiny and our future is oftentimes locked up in people we don't like. Oh, that was good. That's not in my notes. I'm going to say that again. That's free. A lot of times our blessing and our destiny and our future is tied up in people we don't like. Can I, can I help you with this? Like in the Old Testament, how about this one? Moses shows up on the scene and sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. He steps in and kills the Egyptian. And the Israelites want God to cut him off. You're going to get us killed, man. They're going to make us have to do more bricks. They're going to make our work harder. Get rid of him, God. Send him to the backside of the desert. Guess who was their deliverer and they didn't even know it? The deliverer in your life may be somebody you can't stand right now. And if you strike before you ask, you might wander in the wilderness the rest. Okay, all right. I'll move on because I just need to say, say this to you. Quit praying for God to kill folks he wants to use for your good. Quit asking God. Some of y'all spend a lot of your prayer time asking God to kill some folks that you're going to need. Ooh, it's tight in here. Okay. All right. Number two, the second lesson that we learn out of these accounts is this. You should learn to bless rather than battle. The king blessed his enemy rather than battling his enemy. The art of war, it can be encapsulated in this statement right here. We must learn, hear me, we must learn to respond like the king. The king. We've got to learn to respond like the king. And the king, in this account at least, knew that it was better to bless than to battle once Elisha gave him the instruction. We think because we've kept our hands to ourselves that we've done all we're supposed to do. I could have struck him. One shot's all it would have taken. He, he looked at me the wrong way, and man, I had it. I had I just, okay, y'all ain't never been there. I've been there. Just one, just to oh, stab you in the neck. I just one, come on, I got it cocked. Y'all, y'all ever, you ever been there? And so we think because we resisted that, that we're okay. Our, our dilemma is not that we, we can't keep our hands off. Our dilemma is we can't keep our mouth off. See, uh, the wise man told us something that we need to learn. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, he says, A gentle, we, we learned it like this, a soft answer. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words cause quarrels. In other words, we talk ourselves into wars that we don't even need to have. Okay, because see, here's what we do. We always focus on that first part. I learned it like this. A soft answer turns away wrath, and we always want to focus on the soft part of that verse. The soft answer. So I, I start thinking, soft, weak, cave in, just take the slap. That's what it means, right? No. We want to focus on the soft. The soft part of that or the gentle part of that deals with our demeanor and our attitude. But please recognize and realize the second word that come, the word that comes right after soft or gentle, answer. We still give an answer. 
we often cause people to miss a correct and a resolving answer because we fail to add the soft and instead we use harsh. Anybody in here live with somebody that's hard? Never mind. I'm not going to ask that question. Yeah, I'll get you in trouble and then I'll have to do a lot of marriage counseling. Uh, too many of us don't know how to answer soft because here's the, here's the crux of the matter. We just want to be right. I just want to be right at all costs. Even when I'm wrong, I still want to be right. So I will argue and I will with harshness respond to you to try to <laughs> override the truth. Okay, I didn't know I was telling on myself today. I, I, I thought maybe some of y'all were with me, but uh, here's the problem. In your constant winning, you are also in a constant state of offense, and you're at war. And everywhere you go, work, neighborhood, home, ball games, hallways, you're right. But there's casualties everywhere. May I say to you this, this morning something that we all need to learn, and that is this. You may always be right, but you can also die lonely and isolated. Sometimes you need to prepare a meal in the presence of your enemies and bless them so that you don't have to battle. Bless rather than battle. Listen to what Paul says. He affirms this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and then verses 31 through 32. He says this. He says, listen, please listen to this. These are his instructions to a church, to us. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. Make a clean break with all cutting, with all backbiting, with all profane talk. Here it is. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Bless rather than battle. How long did you have to beg Jesus to forgive you? About like that. How long does everybody else have to beg you to? We, we want a battle. And Paul's saying, come on, learn to bless one another. I, I am convinced that too many of us keep wars alive simply because we won't shut our mouth. We won't shut our mouth. And the event that, that caused the offense, we become fixated and stagnated by the offense, and we can't move past it. That's what happened in Joab's life. Even though Abner tried to get ACL to turn aside, he wouldn't. He warned him and warned him and warned him and warned him until he had no choice. Joab fixated and stagnated at that place in his life and couldn't let it go. We quit operating on B.C. and A.D., and we start operating on B.O. and A.O., before offense and after offense. We're totally different because we fixated on the offense that took place in our life, and we know that's the case because it's all you talk about. It's not long before you talk about the mechanic that jacked your car up. 
He stole from me 22 years ago. I took my car down there, and all I needed was like the tire replaced, and he put in a whole new engine, cost me $5,000. I hate that guy. He works right down there, and I want you to never go, and we can't get over it. My husband acted like an idiot and hurt me. My kid broke my heart. My boss rode me too hard and was never thankful. My neighbor let their dog do things in my yard. And it's like we come over to talk about the ball game and within five minutes you say, yep, there, don't be, watch where he walked. That dog came in my yard six years ago when they've been letting him come ever since. And we fixate. Okay. I'm, we need to learn to bless. And what we discover is that as soon as we learn to bless people, battles end. Battles in. There's another reason that I want to say this to you this morning and try to teach you this is because I've discovered that the only thing more deadly and imprisoning than an offense is a shared offense. If you read the entire account of Joab in Second Samuel and Second uh, Samuel chapter two and Second Samuel chapter three, what you discover is that after Joab kills Abner, I didn't read this to you. I want you to go back and read it for yourself. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it to you now. Read it to you now. But I want you to go see what happens. Joab couldn't get over the offense. He takes matters into his own hands. He's holding the grudge. And there's a shared offense that takes place. Listen to what David does. David comes along and he pronounces a curse on Joab's entire family. And this is what he says. He says, his family forever will have someone who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. He prophetically casts a curse over Joab's entire family from that day forward. It's a shared offense. That's scary stuff, y'all. That, that is the power of an offense that is shared. It impacts and marks Joab's family forever. If we don't learn to get over offenses and we don't learn to quit holding grudges, there are only two things that can happen. Number one is this. We will learn to either forgive or we will fester. And if we choose not to forgive and we fester, then the second thing happens. We share the offense. It's just a matter of time. Because we don't, we don't know how to keep it to ourselves. So we will share the offense. I have noticed that offended people like offended people. They rally together. They infect one another. I'm preaching right now. If I hadn't been preaching up to now, I'm preaching right now. This is what we do. When we hold a grudge, we, we will either forgive that grudge or it begins to fester in us. And it's just a matter of time as it festers that we will then share it because misery loves com- company and we will share our offense. And the only thing, one of the most dangerous offenses that you can have is not your offense. It's an offense you pick up from somebody else. That is dangerous for you. In that moment, you become in bondage. In that moment, when you share an offense, you 
you can't seem to get out of bondage to it. If you share an offense, you literally are in danger of putting somebody in bondage and impacting their future. We see this all the time with young married couples. We, we, we even try to head it off in pre-marriage counseling. We tell them this, and it still happens. To, to young people, they fall in love, and it's all like puppy love. We, you, they make you sick because they goo at one another, and they're just all, you know it, you know it. You, oh, they just, ooh, just make me. Just slap them and go on. Just grow out of it. You know, whatever. And and and, and we tell them, it, but it happens. They love one another, and and then all of a sudden, three months in, the guy in a, in a hurry forgets to to put the, to to raise the lid, and and so a fight ensues, and it's 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 like blows. There's like cage match in in the house. I mean, they're dropping atomic elbows and drop kicking each other. And the, the makeup is great. I mean, we get to make up. Oh, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. The only problem is she told mom and daddy that, that he, he forgot to raise the lid. And, and now mom and daddy, because they love their daughters so much, they hold a grudge and the shared offense sets up. And so now when they come into contact with their brand new son-in-law, they, they look at me, oh, mm-hmm, old sprinkle over there. He don't really love, he don't love, he don't love my daughter like he should. If he was a real man, if, if he was a good man, he must not love, he ain't going to take, he's sorry. And the, the wife has moved on. But mom and dad can't. Y'all laugh, but that happens all the time. And it happens because we share offenses. Listen, do not offload your offense on somebody. I ain't get no help. Do, can I, shut your mouth. Quit sharing out of your mouth. You have the ability of life or death. And when you offload offense, it you'll move on. You, it's, it's incredible how this happens. I'm offended. I open my mouth and I offload my offense onto you and I move on and now all of a sudden you're in bondage. Okay. And also, don't let people offload their offense on you. You don't need to carry that junk around. Listen, when somebody starts looking at you and, and, and they start confiding, oh, man, you'll never know what they did to me at church. You'll never know what they did to me at work. And they start offloading all that stuff on you. They want you to become offended. Look at them and say, that's not my circus and those are not my monkeys. I'm not going to carry that stuff around because I realize I'll be in bondage. You know, we, uh, this is crazy, but we actually had several years ago, we had a, a young lady coming to church. Nothing was done to her, but she had a friend here, and her friend was was going through a tough season and was hurt. She loved us, but she was hurt. She just felt like she was isolated and hurt. She shared her offense with the other young lady, and the other young lady, I noticed, start, she starts getting kind of angry towards She griped us out. We'd never done anything to her. We'd never done anything to the other girl either, but we'd, we'd never done anything to her. And the other girl moves on. This girl quits the church and goes, I'm out. Shared offense. It's dangerous. It's contagious. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 9 says this. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. 
If you share your offense, you can be be the cause of someone missing their blessing, and you can cause them to vacate the very relationships that they needed for promotion, that they needed to fulfill their destiny, that they needed to be blessed. You can cause that to happen. Listen to this statement right here. Please listen to this. Forgiveness is how God transforms our pain so that we don't transfer our pain. You have got to allow God to help you to forgive who you're offended at and to release the grudge in your life and let God transform that pain in your own life or you will transfer it to your friends. You will transfer it to your children. You will transfer it to your grandchildren and your grandchildren's children. And it will become a generational curse if you don't allow God to transform your pain. you got to get rid of it. You got to quit sharing it. Listen, you can only control your healing. So if you share your offense, what happens then is that you can only control your healing and you will move on, but somebody else will be sick. Okay, I'm going to quit because you are looking at me. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The Corinthian church is dealing with a guy that has caused a great offense in the church. I want you to see what Paul says, and then I'll get out of your way. Second Corinthians chapter 2, he addresses this offense, and in verse 9 and through 11, he says this, The focus of my letter wasn't on punishing the offender, but, in, but on getting you to take responsibility for the health of the church. I should stop right there and preach probably that. It's not the preacher's responsibility for the health of the church. It's our responsibility. Okay, that went over great. Okay, so... Um, So here's what he says. If you forgive him, I forgive him. Don't think I'm carrying around a list of personal grudges. The fact is that I'm joining in with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. Here, Listen. After all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We are not oblivious to his sly ways. Paul is literally saying, look, if we take part in an offense and I become overwhelmed by an offense that you had and you move on and I don't, we give an opening to Satan. That ought to tell us that what the enemy of our soul does is he navigates and works through broken relationships. And Paul says, look, don't, 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 don't let him be sly. We're supposed to know his tricks, and how he works. So therefore, I am quick to participate in the forgiveness that you've given. So therefore, if somebody in here is offloading an offense on you, when they get healed, you need to participate in their forgiveness, but don't participate in their grudge. How do we fight fair? What is the art of war? Here it is right here. We ask before we strike. You got to have somebody you can ask. Should I go on the attack? You should bless rather than battle. You guard your mouth and you keep your offenses to yourselves and you operate in forgiveness. That's how we fight fair. Can we do it? Yes, we can do it. On our own? No. It's only under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit operating on what Jesus did for us that we have the ability to do that, but it can be done. I just want to challenge you this morning. There are folks sitting in this room, some of us don't even know it, but you've been harboring an offense for 26 years, eight months, 
three and a half weeks, four days, two hours and 16 minutes and 32 seconds. You got it to the day. You can remember when you were hurt. It's time to let that junk go. It's time to shut your mouth about it long enough so that your kids aren't infected and your grandkids are infected. Some of you in this room, you're under attack and you don't know whether you should strike or not. I'm asking this morning that as we pray together that we will begin to ask the Holy Spirit, should we strike? Should we respond with a feast or a fist? We got to learn. I also want you to learn to bless this morning rather than battle. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm simply going to pray over us today that God is going to teach us how to fight fair. Father, this morning, I pray for each person under the sound of my voice. This is one of the biggest challenges we face because we were designed for relationship and yet the enemy recognizes that if he can break relationship, if he can break that down, we become weak. We become vulnerable. So, Father, this morning I'm praying over the folks that are here. I pray that you would enable us to learn to fight fair. God, I pray for individuals in this room right now that are under attack. Maybe ambushes have been set up for them, and they, they really don't know how to respond. And their, their natural wants to strike back. I pray that you would speak wisdom to them right now, and they would recognize, do I strike back or do I, do I bless? I, teach me, Lord. God, I pray that you would teach them this morning. Give them a word. God, I pray that an assigned relationship would come along and they would share this question, what should I do? And that person would respond under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and they would give wisdom and discernment and we would obey because our natural instinct is to fight. I pray that you would teach us when there are moments that instead we should prepare a meal and call a truce. God, I pray this morning that we would recognize that you're not necessarily mad at who we're mad at. That you don't have the same grudge that we do. And we can sit around all week long and pray heaps and coals and fire and boils and disasters and calamities on folks. But I pray that you would remind us that those folks may very well be a bridge that we need to cross later. I pray that you would teach us. Teach us to be forgiving. God, I pray that we would learn to close our mouth. God, we ask you to give us the ability to control our mouth because we recognize that out of our mouth can come life or death, and we don't want to share death. Father, I pray this, this morning that you would teach us how to bless rather than to war. God, I pray that we would not share offenses that cause bondage in the lives of our family for generations to come. God, if there's somebody in this room under the sound of my voice right now that was hurt many, many years ago and it hurt them so deeply that they feel compelled to share that hurt over and over again, I pray that you'd stop that right now. And they would recognize that time doesn't heal wounds. Healing heals wounds. And they would allow the healing grace of Jesus to be applied. And forgiveness would transform that pain so that they won't transfer it. And God, if there's somebody, and I know there is because I know some of the stories in this room. I know there's some folks that have been brutalized recently. They've gone through some unbelievably painful moments. 
relationships have fallen apart. And the enemy's trying to do his best to do damage through offense. I pray this morning that you would, as the balm of Gilead, would apply, apply healing to their pain so that no scar would form and all the poison would be pulled out and they would walk out in freedom and there would be no offense to share. And Father, we choose as a body when we see one of our brothers or sisters going through what they're going through and we know about it and we feel compelled to fight for them when they're not fighting for themselves, I pray that instead what we would learn to do is we would participate in the forgiveness that they have given so that we're not in bondage either. I pray for freedom over every person today. Help us learn to navigate relationships. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Would you just reach over and take your neighbor's hand real quick? This is how I'm going to end this morning. Father, I pray for my brother and my sister. God, I ask you would do a healing work in them that only you can do. I don't know the pain they endure. But I pray that you would free them from that pain in Jesus' name. Father, we make, Father, we make a, a, a pact with one another today as a body. All these folks we're holding hands with, we're just, we're just body. We're, we're family. We make a pact today that we will not share offense. We'll carry one another's burdens, but we won't share offense to the point that it produces bondage. I pray that, that we would learn to interact with one another with grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. I pray that you'd make us one, one body, with one Lord. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. I bless my brother and sister in Jesus' name and ask a great blessing on them today. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated for. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.